0: bibles matthew we're going to be in matthew chapter 18 beginning at about <clears throat> verse 15 as we uh, finish up the chapter but as we as we take a look and as we prepare for for what the lord has for us this morning god wants to teach us this morning uh how to forgive forgiveness is an essential part of our christian walk yes. so let that sink in a minute Forgiveness is an essential part, not just something we can do when we feel like it. Forgiveness is an essential part of being a Christian, what it is to walk with Christ and follow him. And this morning as we take a look, it's it's a familiar section of scripture, many of us may be familiar with, uh, with what the Lord lays out for us in Matthew 18, verse 15. The, the familiarity is good. The problem is we don't do it. We might know what it says, but we don't do what it says. Jesus said, blessed are you if you obey. Not if you know. We can know a lot of things, can't we? Go to school and learn lots of stuff. We got to move it the 18 inches necessary to get it from our head to our heart. This is how we live. The the thing that should be said about any believer at at their celebration of life as they've gone home to be with the Lord should be, man, he was or she was the most forgiving person I have ever met. That's what what God calls us to. That's his directions for us in Matthew chapter 18. Begins in verse 15. He says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Now there's so much in that verse that we need to talk about. There's a lot of stuff that the Lord lays out for us in there. For example, he says in this particular passage, he lays out, if your brother sins against you. Not, doesn't necessarily mean if your brother hurts your feelings. Or if your sister walked by and didn't say hi. Said if your brother sins against you. Not if your brother sins against the world. Which of us is not guilty of sinning in the world? All of us, right? The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, I want you to hear this. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, a righteous man falls seven times a day. Not a righteous man does pretty good and sins once a week. A righteous man falls seven times. The Proverbs goes on to say, but he gets back up seven times. Seven times he stumbles Seven times he gets up. The scripture here is laying out for you. If your brother, your sister, it's a brother or a sister of someone who's part of the family of faith. Another person who is a believer. If there is another person who is a believer who has sinned against you personally. The scripture lays out for you. This is how, this is what we're supposed to do. And if we're honest with ourselves, none of us do it. But we ought to fix that. We ought to knock it off and do it God's way. Instead of making excuses for ourselves. He says, if he sins against you, okay, he sins against you, it's a problem between you and this person. He goes on to say that you, you go and tell him his fault between you and him, how? Alone. Doesn't mean, you know, now that you're thinking about it, go meet him in the foyer surrounded by a hundred people and tell him you're upset with him. Oh, what did it say? It says, you tell him his fault, the one who was sinned against. Not the one who committed the sin, the one who has the the hard feelings, the one who's dealing with bitterness, the one who's struggling because this brother or sister caused me to fall and I'm having a hard time dealing with this. It says, you go to, to them alone and you tell them his fault. Man, when we when we start to to get into it, we discover that God tells us there's a right way to do confrontation. And the problem is most of us do it wrong. Most of us do it wrong. And the Bible tells us if a brother or a sister has sinned against me and I got a problem with him, I am to deal with it. I am to tell him his fault alone. me, Me and them, sitting together. In a, in a room where we don't have distractions, we don't have anything else going on, I'm to tell him his fault, but the Bible also tells me how I'm supposed to do it. And therein is another place we run into trouble. There's a right way for confrontation, a, a right way for these things to take place. There is an attitude that we are commanded by God to have when we are looking to make things right between brethren. And that's found in Galatians chapter 6. Why don't you flip over there with me. Galatians chapter 6. Just verse 1 and 2. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 and 2. Paul laying out in Galatians. He tells us the attitude that we're supposed to have in this confrontation. When we tell our brother his fault. When we deal with this issue with a brother or a sister. Here's what he says. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, that word trespass is harmatano, it's the same, it's a word for sin, it's missing the mark. If a brother is overtaken in any sin, you who are first thing we need to have when we come together, you who are what? Spiritual. What God is laying out for us in Galatians chapter 6 is the ability to forgive and restore a brother or sister is not natural to us. It's not part of our natural makeup. And that we must learn to walk in the Spirit if we're going to be able to fulfill the directions that God gives us. I want to make peace with my brother. No, I need to make peace with my brother. So in order to do that, The first thing he says is, you who are spiritual. This is not something that you just do and your emotions are high and you see this person in the store and you go after him. No. You who are spiritual. That your heart, your mind is focused on the things of the spirit that you're really desiring to see. What is it that that God has for you? You who are spiritual. Here's the attitude. Restore Such a one. When you go to talk to your brother, the reason you are confronting him or her about this sin against you is to restore your relationship. There are a lot of reasons why we might go to tell somebody what they've done to us. The first among them is we want them to pay. I want them to hurt like I hurt. I want them to feel like I feel. I want them to to have to to deal with the angst. We want to be able to, to transfer, to translate all that pain and bitterness and frustration that we feel upon someone else. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, here's the attitude you go to your brother. First, you are focused spiritually. That you are grounded in the word of god that you are seeking god's direction and wisdom in regard to this particular meeting and the reason you're doing it is so that you and this person can continue to have a good relationship to restore a brother to restore a sister how do we do it in a spirit of gentleness Literally, this this word for restore is for setting a bone. Now, if you've ever broke a bone, you know how much fun it is to have your bone set. It's even worse if you waited a couple days to go to the doctor. Especially if he he utters the words, uh, sorry, it was broken, but now it has begun to heal. And it's crooked. So... Um, here, chew on this for a minute. I'm going to break it and put it back in place. It's a hard thing and a harsh thing to do. But the goal is to be gentle. Be gentle. Be meek. The whole concept, the, the antonym of this word is the word Revenge. So it's an attitude that I come in restoration and in gentleness to, to gently take that broken bone. You know how gentle you move your arm when you busted it? Don't even want the wind to blow on it. Yeah. And when you hand that broken bone to the doc, how do you want him to take it? Oh, thanks. Give me that thing. <laughs> there you go. man. that makes me want up. Sock a doctor in the ear. And some of you had doctors like that, didn't you? And you only hope one day I find you somewhere with a broken bone. No, we want to we restore our brother. We want to restore our sister. We want to come together with an attitude of gentleness. That's supposed to be our attitude. Galatians goes on to tell us Why? Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Hey, the Lord is saying, if you you don't get this right, we're going to continue to go around this mountain until you do. If you don't learn how to forgive a brother, restore a brother, come back in an attitude of gentleness, the Lord says, you'll be tested again. Try it again. The Lord says, There's more things I need to work in your life in order for you to learn this. We want to learn this. In verse 2 of Galatians 6, he says, So bear one another's burdens. Man, you ever have said to yourself, such and such, this person, that person is such a burden? Yeah? So? Bear them. Bear one another's burdens. The family of God, the body of Christ, should be a safe place where anyone can come in any state, broken or not, and receive from around the the body of Christ, the people around, the ability to be loved for people to have compassion for and lift one another's burdens. Pick them up. Bear one another's burdens. This is God's, this is His design. You want to know how to forgive? You want to know how to come to this place? Because it's pretty vital in your Christian walk that you learn how to do it. Well, the reason why many times when we come together and we say, well, if I got a problem with my brother, I'm going to take it to my brother. But I went and it didn't go very well. Well, how'd you go? Did you go in this spirit? Did you go in a spirit to restore? Did you go in a spirit to blame? Did you go in a spirit of compassion and love, like the Lord comes to you? Because that's the way we're supposed to forgive. That's the way we're supposed to forgive. That's where we're supposed to mark it, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? That you love. One another as I have loved you. That you love one another as I have. That, that, hey, this is not, this is what God is telling us to do. How He's calling us to walk and learn to walk in forgiveness. It should, it should govern the attitude of the believers when they come together and deal with this. That we have a meek and gentle spirit when we, when we seek to confront a brother or sister who's sinned against us. That we would consider ourselves and realize, hey, I don't want to be tested or tried. I don't, want to, I don't want to face the trouble of this. That we would allow the law of Christ, which is love, to rule in our life. But keep in mind, what are we talking about here? Relationship between who? Two brothers. Remember, a brother and a sister are two sisters. This is the relationship that governs believers. If a brother who has sin. There's no sense in trying to do this with somebody who's in the world, is there? You're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get anywhere. This is something that we do between two brothers, believers, those who have given their life to Jesus Christ. Well, maybe you think... God doesn't cover this anywhere else. This is everywhere. In fact, we're going to do a little lesson in the Old Testament. So hold your, hold your, your, your place there in Matthew. And flip over to Leviticus. It's not hard to find. It's in the front. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. The third book. It's the third book of the Bible and the one book most often avoided. <laughs> oh. You should have seen it when I did a Bible study on Wednesday nights in Leviticus. It was like the chirping of crickets. Leviticus? Oh, I definitely have something better to do than check out Leviticus. Well, let's look. Leviticus 19. In Leviticus 19, uh, verse 16. Listen, this is important. How do we deal with a brother or sister who has sinned against us? Their most common way of doing it is to call our friends. Call our friends and say, you won't believe what so-and-so did. You won't believe what they said, or you won't believe how they've treated me, or you won't believe, and we start to build up for ourselves those who love us and care about us who will come alongside and say, you're right, and they're wrong, and they shouldn't have done that. If I learned anything in counseling, here's what I learned, especially in regard to counseling married couples. You cannot counsel one person at a time. Well, how come? Because first, something happens, and that person then turns on their video camera and begins to film. Now, you don't know what laid up to it. And then they tell you, not necessarily what was said or what led up to it, but how they were feeling about what happened. And if we're all honest, if we have an argument or disagreement... And how many times has it gone? Well, you said, and then the other person says, "I didn't say that." Well, that's what I heard. Well, now that's what you meant. And now we're arguing about stuff. We don't have any idea what's going on. None. It's a waste of time. Now, when the Bible talks about dealing with this, it's talking about some hearsay. It's something you heard someone say, but something that you know. It's an issue. Not what you heard. Every husband comes in, and by the time he's done with his story, I'm going to think, yeah, you're right. Your wife is messed up. But if the wife comes in by herself and she tells her story, I'm going to say, man, you're right. He is messed up. It's amazing how much different it is when they come together. And you can start to see where the issue is, what's really going on. Well, here's what Leviticus chapter 19 has to say about it. Leviticus 19 verse 16 says, You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people. That means stop gossiping. It's sad. We ought to be able to have a prayer chain. And it not be the gossip hotline. But how do we do it then? Well, it's simple. I call somebody and say, hey, I need prayer. Well, what's happening? Doesn't matter. Pray for me. I am struggling, dealing with something. God knows what it is. Pray for me. He says, Don't go around like a talebearer, gossiping, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Don't stand against your neighbor. Don't stand against your brother. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. But you shall surely rebuke your neighbor. That's the same exact thing that Jesus is saying. You will surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You will not take any vengeance. Nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you will love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That means we don't talk with other people about it. It means we deal with the person with whom we've got the offense. We go straight to them. And we go there not with an attitude that says, I want to take your life or take vengeance, I hate you, but an attitude of love that wants to unite once again that we wouldn't have this, this space between us, this anger and bitterness that we're dealing with. We, we're supposed to deal with this properly. He tells us in Leviticus. He tells us in Matthew. He tells us in Mark. He tells us in Luke. tells us in John. Most of the Pauline epistles, in fact, all throughout the scripture. Why does he keep telling us this? Because we have a problem with it. It's a struggle we have. And God wants us to address it. He wants us to address it and deal with it. He wants us to to face it. He says in, in Matthew, again, Matthew 18, 15, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. And if he hears you. Now maybe you've heard me say this before. It is important as a believer. A lover of Jesus Christ and a lover of God's word. To decide you want to learn to do due diligence with the scripture. Now am I saying that the Holy Spirit won't lead you? No that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying do due diligence. That means find out what's going on. Listen when we tear apart Verse 15, I've told you before, in the Greek, there are four different case clauses for the word if. It can mean a lot of different things. In the Greek, though, we can find out exactly what's meant. This is called aon in the subjunctive. What that means is, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. He says, if your brother hears you, what the Lord is saying, maybe what you're saying is real, and maybe what you're saying is not. Maybe it's a perceived wrong, and maybe it's not. Maybe it's accurate, maybe it's not. Maybe you don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. You just have your piece, and it has caused you to be offended with your brother. So maybe he'll hear you, and maybe he won't. The word for hear is always defined by what follows it. So this word hear says that he will hear and agree with you. Because maybe what you're saying is true. Maybe what you're saying isn't the truth. You don't have all the pieces put together yet. But he needs to hear you in order for there to be resolution. Not just he listened, but that you guys are in agreement. He hears you. If your brother hears you, you have gained your brother. That was the point. Nowhere does he say, You won the argument. Nowhere in scripture does it say you cling to your rights. No matter what it does to brothers or sisters. Actually over and over again in scripture it says. You lay down your rights. And make peace. With your brother or sister. Oh but they've done these things to me. So. Which of you hasn't sinned against God. That God forgive you? Then you have a problem. Do you have a problem? Well, I have to repent. Are you sure? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from... Oh, was that everything? Even the stuff he didn't confess? Amazing. He forgives. He wants to forgive. If he hears you, you might not have the whole story. The, the Bible here in this part of verse 15 is saying, Be cautious. Don't assume. The biggest problem we have in husband and wife relationships and in relationships between believers is we impute ill will upon each other. I hear so and so did Something. Something. I heard that Fritz stole my picks. And I assume Fritz stole my picks because he's trying to tick me off. And so I impute ill will and I'm, I'm stumbling, man. I'm having a problem. I'm really angry with my brother. When the Bible says I need to go sit down with Fritz alone. And I think I'm gonna straighten him out, you know, and I'm gonna tell him, babe, hey, this is your fault, brother, what you've done. And what I find out is, Fritz says, oh man, I'm sorry. I just saw your pics laying on the ground and I picked them up. No. Oh. Sometimes the one who goes and thinks they're going to declare a fault finds out, "Eh, that's not what I thought. That's why I'm supposed to go. And it's not anybody else's business, just me and Fritz. And no, we didn't really fight over picks. I don't care. He can steal my picks all day. (laughs) The point is that we deal with it, that we face up to the issue and that we're cautious going in realizing... You know, there may be more to this than what I think I know. And I want to be open because the reason I'm talking to my brother Fritz is it's more important to me that we're at peace than I have picks. Long time ago, I I shared a story before. Kathy and I were going through a rough time. Don't have any money. We're saving every penny we got to try to buy a vehicle that that Kathy and the kids will fit in. Trying to put all our, so we're saving our pennies and we went through a rough financial time and I had a brand new truck, but I traded it to my brother. He took over payments on my brand new truck. He gave me his broken down old truck. So I was using his broken down old truck and we're just saving our pennies, saving our pennies, saving our pennies. I find out from my father, he calls me up and he says, you know, Jackie, your brother's kind of ticked off at you. Uh, he is. He is. Yeah, because, you know, he never made any payments on that truck that you gave him, and so they repoed it. And that's my problem. How? Well, he feels like you got his truck and never had to pay for it. I gave him a new one. Yeah, he don't see it that way. So we had 500 bucks in the bank to buy a piece of junk station wagon that we wanted to buy. It was hilarious. And I come to Kathy and I said, Hey, my brother's mad at me and I can make it right if I just give him that 500 bucks. We'll have peace. And she said, Zone his own fault. Why didn't he pay the stupid thing? That's my, that's my you know, 1964 station wagon that we're about to buy. And I said, no, it's more important to me that me and my brother have peace than I have a new car. I don't care. So I gave him a 500 bucks. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell me, Jackie, make sure you're always right in every situation. It does tell me in as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. So I made peace with my brother. And I didn't harbor no ill will. I don't care about it. It's more important to me that I have a loving relationship with my brother today. And at that particular time, my brother wasn't necessarily walking with the Lord. Today he's walking with the Lord. Hey, we're, we're stoked. We're stoked for that. Nowhere does the Bible tell me I have to be right. And I have to claim to my rights. And I have to say, no, they, he's wrong. He's wrong and I don't have to give him a nickel. But I'd have lost my brother. What would you give for your brother? What would you give for your sister? Your brother and sister are sitting next to you. And across the room. And in the back and in the front. They're all here. What will you give? What would you give to have that peace? Listen, then he goes on in verse 16. Well. If he will not hear, now that phrase means if he doesn't understand what you're saying, he's not getting it. Maybe you're not able to be clear with what the issue is. So if he will not hear, take with you one or two others. Now the scripture tells us why that is. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now what's that talking about? It's talking about the scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 19. The Lord says, one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits, but by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter is established. It means you're not to hear anything that only has one witness, nothing, and the. In the New Testament, in the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, the Lord says the same thing. Don't receive any charge against an elder by only one witness. But by the mouth of two or three, something can be established. Not just to hear some random account from some random person who says, I saw this or I saw that and try to build up for themselves some kind of army to follow behind them and say, you're right. So you go and you get one or two other people You don't tell them, you won't believe what they did to me and we got to go straighten this person out. No, they're there to be mediators. They're there to hear what you say. And what the brother or sister says. And they're there to seek the Lord. Because the Lord says where two or three are gathered in my name, what? There I am in the midst. That, By the way, we're going to get to that verse in a minute. It's all about this. Dealing with this issue. You gather two or three in my name. And the Lord says, if they seek me, I'll guide you. I'll I'll guide you to the way to make peace. So it says, bring one or two others. So that you might have two or three. And they come together. And they make peace. And if he refuses to hear them. He still doesn't hear them. Then it says, tell it to the church. That becomes a bigger issue. Every step, the issue grows. Tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen or a tax collector. Now, you, this is where it's important that we understand the Hebrewness of the Word of God. The Hebrewness. Of the word of God. Because the Hebrewness of the word of God. He uses the term. Heathen and tax collector. What's that mean? Treat them like somebody. You don't really want to hang out with. But it doesn't mean stop loving them. It doesn't mean stop reaching out to them. It just means. You need not to have the kind of fellowship. That you would normally be having with a brother or sister. Somebody who's on track. You stop thinking. Thinking. You know what? They're acting like this, but, but uh, you know, maybe they're not saved. You know, it's possible to come to church every day of your life and not be saved. You didn't get saved by coming to church. You got saved by giving your life to Jesus Christ. And when you try to work through the things that Jesus tells us to do, and you can't gain any ground with someone that you think is a brother, the Bible says, stop assuming he's a brother. Don't assume they're a brother. Treat him like a heathen and a tax collector shouldn't be your closest friends, should not be heathens and tax collectors. Doesn't mean you don't love them, doesn't mean you don't reach out to them, doesn't mean you don't want them saved. Doesn't mean that you break off total communication with them and excommunicate them from a the church. It's not what it says. Treat them like a heathen and a tax collector. In those days, nobody was inviting the tax collector over for dinner. How come? Because he was a tax collector. You stayed as far away from him as you could get. We see an example of this lived out in the church in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, a man who's caught up in a trespass is confronted with his sin and he's put outside of the envelope of fellowship. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Hey man, he's repented. Do what? Restore him. Let him in. He's right, he's come around. The whole point behind it all is restoration of fellowship, restoration of friendship, that we're united together. That's why we have to learn how to forgive. Because that's what restores friendship. That's what restores those things in our life. But the scripture goes on to say assuredly I say to you whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And every time I hear somebody read this verse they pull it out of context and try to use it for something else. What are we talking about? We're talking about dealing with problems between brothers and sisters right? We're talking about the church. We just read a verse about the church, right? And how the church, when they bring this issue before a brother or sister, that that church, this verse is saying, needs to be governed by the word of God and what God's word lays out for us in submission to him, not just randomly doing what they think is right. Because whatever you bind here will be bound in heaven. Don't think about it backwards. We think about it backwards. That means I'll say, bind it here, and he has to bind it there. No, 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 no. Listen, whatever is bound here will be, is already bound in heaven. Because God's word has told me this should not be permitted. And so I take what has already been bound in heaven and I bind it on earth. Or I loose it. Because that's already been permitted. It's permitted according to God's word. Whatever you loose will be loosed in heaven. That's the way the Greek lays it out. It is already done. It has already been. It is the foundation. What takes place in heaven. Not what we say on earth. But we just read it flippantly. Right? And we don't do due diligence. We just read the verse and we say. Oh well that means I'll just say I bind you. And he has to do it. But that's not the context, nor the proper understanding of that verse. What you bind here has already been bound in heaven. What you loose here has already been loosed in heaven. What's he talking about? The church being governed by the spirit of God and by the word of God. So whatever you bind, whatever you tell a brother, hey, you can't be doing this. It's something that ought to be covered in the word of God and by the spirit of God as a part of the body of Christ. Not just some random thing. The assembly, the church, needs to be in submission to the Lord. Needs to be in submission to what he says. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. What are we talking about? We're talking about people coming together and dealing with a, a, a problem. And remember, he said, if they don't hear you, bring two together. So he says, bring two together and ask my father, guide us, lead us, show me, Lord, what is right. Just like Solomon dealing with the two women who said the baby was theirs. And the Lord says, whatever these two ask in my name, I'll give it to them. I'll help them discern what the issue is. We want to pull that out and throw it loose in the air and make that verse mean whatever we want it to. But that's not what he's talking about. We This whole chapter, this whole section of this chapter is about forgiveness, right? Dealing with the sins between brothers. Dealing with issues within the church. That's the context of what's going on. In verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name... I am there in the midst. That's what he's saying. When you bring two or three witnesses together, the Lord says, now I'm there, man. If you got two or three spiritual men in a, a spirit of gentleness that seek to restore, then right there I am. People say all the time, well, if we get two or three people to show up to church, then Jesus is there in our midst. What are you talking about? He's in you. You only need one person. And Jesus is there. But when you're dealing with conflict, you need two or three gathered together in the Spirit of Christ, in submission to His Word, and the Lord's going to give you the discernment to be able to deal with the problem. The purpose, restoration. Making things right. Making it right. Listen. He goes on. Then Peter, after hearing this, Peter's like, oh my, this is craziness. So Peter says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, hey, Peter's doubling the current number. The rabbis taught it this time three times. You had to forgive a brother three times. And if he did the same thing three times, you didn't have to forgive him anymore. Well, Peter just doubled that and added one. He said, as many as seven times, Lord... Shall I forgive my brother as many as seven times? Listen, what does God say? I want you to just hold your place here and turn, flip over to the right to Luke 17. Luke chapter 17. How often should I forgive my brother? How often should I be willing to forgive him? Because really, the reason why we struggle with forgiveness is, well, what if he does it again? What if if he continues to do it? What if he keeps doing the same thing over and over again? I mean, surely at some point, I don't have to forgive him anymore, right? Well, Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 3. says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. Right? That's what we're talking about, right? Go to him alone and declare to him his faults. That's the same word, rebuke. Go to him and rebuke him. Scripture goes on to tell us, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, and seven times returns to you saying, I repent, forgive him. Now we might say, you know what, he keeps doing this over and over. I must see fruits of repentance before I forgive. That's not what he said. He said, if he... Repents. He says, I repent. I'm sorry. Forgive me. You forgive him. Doesn't matter. Forgive him. This is a brother, right? Brother or sister comes before you and he says, hey, man, I, I, I've done this over and over and over again. And I come to you and I say, man, I, 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 you, I can't believe I rebuke you. I say, you've done this thing to me. It's a sin. It's not okay. And he says, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. And he does it seven times in that day. He said, the Lord said, forgive him. Forgive him. Because your lack of forgiveness does not hurt him. It hurts you. It disrupts your relationship with God. It disrupts your relationship with other people. It disrupts your life. And Jesus said, the Son has come to set you free. But as long as I put myself in bondage to unforgiveness, I'm in chains. And I won't be free. Forgive. Forgive and forgive again. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you." Willing to forgive no matter What? Between brothers and sisters. I'm not talking about the world. I'm not talking about somebody who done you wrong in the world. I'm talking about a brother. And I'm talking about a sister. This is how we're supposed to deal with it. Well, Jesus answers him and says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And then he tells a story to confirm it. What's he saying? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. The kingdom of heaven. Now, the whole book of Matthew is about the kingdom of heaven. What does it take to enter into the kingdom of heaven? The scripture lays out for us. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like this king. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. The the concept talent in Greek is the highest value of money. It doesn't matter what kind of money you want to put on it. 10,000 talents in the Greek, is an insurmountable number. It's probably a bigger number than most people could ever earn in an entire lifetime of debt. It is humongous. You are not wrong in saying he he owed like $10 billion to this guy. It's the same concept. He has 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay, and so his master commanded that he be sold, and his wife, and his children, and everything that he had, and that payment should be made. And the servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, I will pay you all. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion. See, that's part of our problem. How many times in Scripture does the Scripture tell us that Jesus was moved with compassion? That he heard some issue, some story, and his desire was in some way to be able to reach out. And help. That's what it means to be moved with compassion. This incredible debt is owed. And he's moved with compassion. So what happened? He released him. And forgave him the debt. Now he didn't make opportunity for him to pay. He just forgave it. You don't owe nothing. You're free. Well the story goes on. Then the master, or then the servant, went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That a denarii stands basically for one day's wage. So he owes a hundred days' wage against ten billion dollars. He owes a, a hundred days' wages, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat. You hear what's happening? Well, even the master didn't do that to him. And he said, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. But he would not. Would not what? Would not have patience. Would not have compassion. Would not have love. He would not forgive. And he went out and threw him in prison till he would pay the whole of his debt. So, when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and they came and told the master. And this master, after he had called him, he said to him, You wicked servant. What made him wicked? His unwillingness to forgive. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he would pay everything that was due him. Well, I wonder what that means. Oh, no, we don't have to wonder. Verse 35, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you... From his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Not from his words, not with his mouth, if he will not forgive from his heart. Who are we talking about? His brother, a believer, part of the family of God. Listen, when your body has parts within it that are fighting against one another, you're sick. The body of Christ is not sick. But when believers behave this way, that's how the body is acting. Man, we're we're sideways, we're twisted, we're messed up. Man, we've got to learn to forgive. We've got to learn to let things go. Colossians chapter 3 kind of closes this concept out for us. In Colossians chapter 3, at verse 12, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God... Holy and beloved, put on tender mercy and kindness and humility and meekness and long-suffering and bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, So, also, you must do. We have got to forgive. We got to let it go. We don't get to hold it. We don't get to keep that little fire burning in our heart of anger toward a brother or sister. We are called to let it be. Forgive one another, set each other free. You don't have to carry that with you. You don't have to have that burden upon you anymore. You don't have to. You can let it go. Now I was 13 years old. I got invited to go do a special camp for for kids, special needs kids. It was guys that were like... uh Uh, autistic, just like my son, Joe, and struggled with autism. And I was trying to do something good. So I said, yeah, I'm going to go. And there's this weekend and this weekend with uh, three kids with autism. And then there was myself and the guy who, who runs the camp. But you know, the guy who runs the camp turned out to be a child molester. And for three days, it's just me and him. And three autistic kids. I don't know. I never heard of that person like that before in my life. I don't know what that is. I couldn't understand why that first Friday night he was wanting me to drink. You know, he said, have you ever had any brandy or something? And he was trying to pour glasses. And and so for this whole weekend, I'm trapped in this house with this guy. Never told a soul. But I forgave him a long time ago. And I let it go. I don't want to hear how somebody done you so wrong, there's no way you can do it. I'm not trying to get in a match. If I can beat your story, but if I can't beat yours, Kathy can. Because she was stuck with me. She had to forgive me. It's so vital to let that go. Listen, somehow we get the idea to say, when I say I forgive you, it means they got off. They didn't ever have to pay for it. They didn't have to go through nothing. They just get away with it. Where do you get that idea? Where does it say that in the Bible? What does the Bible say? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. It's not yours to carry. It's mine, God said. So you let me carry it. And you get out of it. God's got a way of making accounts work out. You either trust him or you don't. I trust him. I'm not going to let those things that happened in my life when I was young define who I am for the rest of my life. I'm not going to carry that garbage around. I'm going to let it go. And when I got a problem with my brother, I'm going to sit down in a room and I'm going to deal with the problem, but I'm going to deal with it because so I want to find out the shortest path for you and me to have peace. And I'm going to ask you to forgive me. And I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to let it go. That's how we have peace in the body of Christ. And we got to learn to do it. This morning, we have an opportunity to, to take the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And we're going to enter into a time of worship. And as we do so, you know as well as I do. Jesus said, if you come to the altar and there you realize you have a problem with a brother. Or you have a problem with a sister. Man, you need to make it right. The Lord has laid someone on your heart or some issue in regard to forgiveness that you haven't dealt with. I'm not saying... Don't partake of the Lord's Supper. And I'm not not thinking that's what we're talking about here. What I'm saying is. Do it the way God's word says. I can't do it in here. Because it wouldn't be me and you alone. But it needs to get done. It needs to get put to bed. Folks we got a world out there lost. Like crazy. We got a crazy president who says that. His belief, his faith is guiding his policy decisions. What? What faith? No, my faith. My Christian faith guides this part. And then he goes on to say, and, and then the uh, Muslim faith guides this part. And then the Jewish faith guides this part. And he's just picking and choosing. The world is lost and, and circling the drain. And we have to get into it we got to get into, not into the fight and arguing, but we need to get into the fight in terms of bringing the truth of the Word of God to the people who need it. But we can't do it if we're fighting amongst ourselves. So lay it down. Make peace. And allow God to do His perfect work in our life. Amen?